You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good? I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co host. Speedy PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World's Wide Sports Radio Network. It has been a crummy week, not for sports, a lot going on. New York sports, as far as baseball is concerned, is not going well for the New York Mets as one of their pitchers looks like they're going to be down for a significant amount of time. But the weather has been crazy, windy, rainy, back and forth from 20 degrees to 60 degrees. It's just been crazy, Speedy. Yep, there was even a day that I forgot to bring a jacket when it ended up being cold on Tuesday night. I learned that the hard way. Yes, well, you have to learn things the hard way, and maybe you'll learn from that and never do it again. But that always seems to happen when you think the night's going to be beautiful over here in New York or Long Island. It gets cold because we're right next to the water. But like I said, we have a great show lined up for you. We will have a returning guest. Yes, Matt Musico, the creator of MLB Daily Dingers and Mets Marais, a writer. Yes, the New York Mets have a lot of problems as Jacob deGrom looks like he'll be out for a significant amount of time. Max Scherzer also injured. A little tweak in the hamstring. So the Mets starting the season... Not healthy. I'm not surprised. I told Med fans that as much as they paid the great and powerful Max, it doesn't mean that that will hold up as the season progresses. No, we were worried about elbow fatigue. It's now a hamstring. We'll see how far that gets and how many innings he pitches. I do believe he will start the season, but how many innings? I don't see seven or eight. We will get into some football conversation. Bruce Arians steps down. Interesting, isn't it? That Tom Brady comes back from retirement and, and two weeks later... Bruce Arian steps down, and Todd Bowles, yes, the New York ex-Jet, Todd Bowles, takes over for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And Byron Leftwich will be the offensive coordinator again. I'm not surprised. Didn't take the Jaguars job. I'm sure he's regretting it to this day. And the New York Jets stories coming out that they're interested in a star-wide receiver. They failed to land Tyreek Hill, which I was very excited about. I did not want Tyreek Hill. But there are stories coming out that they have reached out to DK Metcalf and Seattle, the San Francisco 49ers, and Debo Samuel. And, of course, the one true man, Tennessee Titan, A.J. Brown, who will be interesting moving forward. What the Jets do, do they either make a trade for a top wide receiver or do they draft a top end wide receiver in this year's draft because they have two first round early draft pick. So we'll get into that in just a few moments. We will have Moneyline Mania as we will get into the Duke-North Carolina Final Four game for the first time in NCAA history for college basketball as Coach K 
could move on to a national championship in his final year, but he has to go through North Carolina, his nemesis. We'll get into some basketball as the New York Knicks will have to figure out what they're doing with Julius Randle at the end of the season and, and the Brooklyn Nets look like they're going to be playing in playing games before the end of the season. I say college basketball because that's what New York basketball is. I think college basketball is better than New York basketball right now, but that's a whole other story. And we'll get into some hockey as the Islanders and Rangers play again. And what happens? The Islanders, the Volamov men, have shut out the New York Rangers. The Islanders, their season's over. But the Rangers, not playing good hockey the last past week and a half. So we'll get into the New York Rangers as well. So why don't we get into some football? It's not surprising that when Tom Brady comes out of retirement, one of the main reasons why Tom Brady decided to part ways, one of the main reasons we heard was Bruce Arians. Tom Brady comes back about a week and a half ago. Bruce Arians looks like he's on his way out. Now, it's an interesting story because Bruce Arians won a Super Bowl with Tom Brady. They were very successful the first year over there in Tampa. Last year, they were stretching. And when they made the playoffs, they could have came back and beat the Super Bowl champion Rams. They really got lucky in the second half of the game. Everything was falling Tom Brady's way and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers' way, but they fell short at the end of the game. Maybe because of Todd Bowles, who's now the head coach, or just Bruce Arians trusting in Todd Bowles that he was going to do the right thing and not blitz but that's Todd Bowles' way blitz first everything second but after Tom Brady comes back from retirement I wasn't surprised hearing this story come out this week that he was stepping down what I was surprised about is that he gave the reins to Todd Bowles now Todd Bowles has been a head coach here in New York with the New York Jets and failed miserably he had one good season and the other two were horrible took over a team That was built by Rex Ryan. You look at where the New York Jets are and where Tampa Bay is. The New York Jets right now are still rebuilding. I'm not surprised because they seem to rebuild every single year for the last 50 years. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they land Tom Brady and they win a Super Bowl. Tom Brady comes back. He's now the savior of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. There are stories coming out that it might be... Miami's Tom Brady. I don't think that's going to happen, especially what happened to Brian Flores and the racism, the claims over there in Miami that there was a lot of disrespectful, unorthodox ownership over there in Miami. You look at where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are right now. Are they ready to win this year? I I would say they are. Chris Godwin coming back. Mike Evans there. 100% healthy. They brought back practically their offensive line. Jensen signs their center. Defensively, are they going to be as powerful and as strong as they were the last couple of years? The answer is no. They lost a couple of big pieces. They lost a a safety, defensive lineman. If you look at the Buccaneers, I'm not surprised that Bruce Arians stepped down. He wasn't fired, but was he? Why would he just decide to step down two weeks after Tom Brady comes out of retirement? He was planning to coach another year. I am not surprised, even though it's not on the board that he was fired. He stepped down and retired. It was really an agreement by management and Tom Brady that Bruce Arians will not be coaching next year. Tom Brady retires once. There's chaos. Then he comes back. 
there's chaos. Very strange circumstances with the Buccaneers. And frantically, nothing that we've seen all at once with both ownership and coaching and players all at once. Brett Favre retired twice. I get that. But they didn't take Mike McCarthy with him. They didn't take Aaron Rodgers with him at that time in Green Bay. Now you're dealing with a case where Tom Brady comes back, then doesn't come back. But Bruce Arians doesn't retire with Tom Brady initially. Then Tom Brady comes back. They go through a free agency process and all of a sudden steps down. By the way, when he has his press conference, Bruce Arians, Tom Brady's sitting there and saying that there was no problems between him and Bruce and that he respects Bruce Arians as a coach and that he wishes him nothing but the best in his retirement. Of course Tom Brady would say that. Of course Tom Brady would be at the press conference and kiss Bruce Arians you-know-what. Because the truth is... Everybody knows there was no way Tom Brady comes out of retirement unless Bruce Arians is getting his little behind kicked out of Tampa. Now, there is a certain level of respect you could have and still be somebody like Tom Brady that's going to yell at anybody on the sideline. We've seen him yell at players. We've seen him yell at coaches. And Bruce Arians definitely isn't the first one and certainly won't be the last one, as we've seen now with Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich now taking the full reins of the staff. Now, there's many different reasons why that kind of thing could happen. It seems like Bowles was being the guy groomed there. Byron Leftwich, we thought left for Jacksonville. Left which. Yes, nice. (laughs) Nice. We thought took that job for a while, then he had some problems with the Jacksonville Jaguars ownership, so decided to resign from that position, goes back to Tampa, was hoping that he could get that job once Arians retired, maybe next year, and then all of a sudden that didn't happen. So, very interesting decision. We'll have to see if it backfires for Leftwich. It very much possibly could, especially if Brady only plays the one more year with the Buccaneers, which, if he does end up playing just the one year of this contract and then gets traded to Miami or ends up retiring, then Leftwich might be stuck with having to deal with Kyle Trask, because the Buccaneers kept everybody else. So outside of their secondary and Ali Marpet who retired, they really didn't lose much and they don't have a lot of money to be able to spend for a big name quarterback. They're going to have to draft one if they're going to do that. And odds are since the Buccaneers are going to be a playoff team, that's going to be very hard to do. So Byron Leftwich is certainly running himself a risk for sure. But Todd Bowles, that's a gamble. They're going to hope that he fixes the mistakes that he made with the Jets. Granted, they purged that whole roster in 2017. So was that all on him? No, but he still wasn't helping his own cause. We've seen coaches still do well amidst that anyway. David Coley with the Texans, who still ended up getting fired. What we thought was the worst roster in football still was able to be pesky and win a couple games, which the Jets did not have that kind of case in Todd Bowles' tenure, even when they were considered a bad team. In terms of the Brady-Arians relationship, Brady had some of his best numbers of his career statistically outside of probably that 2007 season in 2021 with Arians. So his scheme definitely helped a little bit, but still Brady has a lot of control in that offense, and I think now he's trying to seize that kind of control where he wants to be have like a Peyton Manning-like I'm going to run this whole offense, and you're just going to run the rest of the team. You're going to just follow me. Byron Leftwich, I am the offensive coordinator. I am the coach here. Whatever I decide to run, you just sit there and play with your books and, and give me an audible play at the line of scrimmage. Thank you very much. I'm going to go out there. But Tom Brady, he deserves all the respect that he possibly can. He has seven Super Bowls. He's been to ten Super Bowls. Failed three times out of the ten. So if Tom Brady tells you to sit, you're going to sit. If he tells you to crawl, you're going to crawl. If he tells you he wants you to eat off the floor, you're going to eat off the floor. It's Tom Brady. So it seems like that's what it's going to be in Tampa as long as Tom Brady is there. So it is very interesting that Bruce Arians is on his way out. I really thought that Bruce Arians was going to be there at least another year before his retirement. Unfortunately, Tom Brady didn't want him there. 
and that's why he retires early or fired, whatever you want to call it. Fired, and, resigned, now he's in the it, front office, whatever that means. It means nothing because they only did that just to satisfy the press that they weren't going to attack what the truth really was. And the truth is... Tom Brady didn't want to play for him. It's still going to be an awkward unknown regardless, but we'll see what kind of impact he has with the front office decisions with Jason Light, because Jason Light's still there, and he was the only reason that Arians really came back into coaching when he left coaching with Arizona, and we thought he retired in 2018. Then he came back because he had a good connection with them, we'll say. As far as the New York Jets, last week failing on Tyreek Hill, and now more stories coming out of Jetland where they're going to be looking for a star WR1 wide receiver. They don't have one on this roster. Now, Elijah Moore could be one. It's going to take a little bit longer for that to happen. Corey Davis is not a one. He's lucky if he's a two or maybe a three. They added good tight ends. They finally have two quality tight ends in Conklin and Usama. They need a number one. Now, do they draft one? Is it a Garrett Wilson or a Drake London? Or do they go after a DK Metcalf in Seattle and give up draft stock, which they pretty much stole the draft stock from Seattle for Jamal Adams. Do they go after an A.J. Brown who's very, very close with Elijah Moore? By the way, so is D.K. Metcalf. They both played in Ole Miss. And maybe very close to Corey Davis, too. They played in Tennessee. (laughs) When you look at that, Elijah Moore and A.J. Brown, they're like brothers. Would that make a lot of sense? I think A.J. Brown would love it to go to New York and play with Elijah Moore, his little brother. But is that going to happen? I don't know. And then there's Debo Samuel, who had a sensational year last year. He's from the San Francisco 49ers. Mike LaFleur is from San Francisco. Robert Sala is from San Francisco. They would absolutely love to make a trade and bring Debo Samuel to New York and fit with the Jets. Boy, oh boy, that would fit their roster extremely well. I don't know if that's going to happen. The problem with the New York Jets right now is they're not ready to win. The AFC has gotten so much stronger. And right now they're in a hole. Some people believe they have to make a move because they need to compete with the teams that have just become more powerhouses in this division. Now, do I think the AFC East finally is not as strong as it has been over the years because New England doesn't have Tom Brady and Miami doesn't have anybody else? (laughs) (laughs) Buffalo don't have Jim Kelly or the Jets with Neil O'Donnell, Vinny Testaverde, Dan O'Brien, Sam Darnold, Mark Sanchez. (laughs) This division is absolutely winnable. It is an easy division. If the Jets could find the right pieces and Zach Wilson turns out to be a superstar quarterback, if they make two or three really good moves, not this year, but the next two years, that division could be dominated by the New York Jets. It's crazy, yes. And as a Jet fan, you're probably saying, Errol, what are you on, drugs? This team hasn't been a winning organization really since Rex Ryan's back-to-back years in the AFC title game, which, by the way, they weren't the number one team in the AFC. It's wishful thinking. Because the AFC is stacked with good, talented quarterbacks. I think every single team besides maybe two or three, Pittsburgh, the Jets, Houston, Miami, and the Titans. And Zach Wilson played very well in the second half of the season. He played very well. He was consistent. They're going to use him more in the offense. They need to give him weapons around him, which they did with the tight ends this offseason. They give him a number one wide receiver. We might see a completely different Zach Wilson this year in the first half. But to me, the AFC is stacked. The NFC is where it's weak. The Giants are set up very, very well if they find a couple of good players. They'll need more than a couple. They're in the NFC where it's a winnable NFC East. Who looks better right now? Maybe not roster-wise, but in the position that they are, are the New York Giants. Well, the Giants have a 
uphill battle with trying to manage the salary cap. The Jets, they've gotten good bargain contracts. That's because of Joe Douglas. Joe du- yeah, and Joe Douglas has done well in terms of not giving out any more probably than what Corey Davis got. Maybe he didn't even get a lot of money either. No, no, he didn't get a lot of money in comparison to like three years, 38 million contracts we've seen of Jets pass. But that's probably like the only one where you could say, all right, he didn't play to that kind of value. He didn't play a lot of games this year. He missed a, a lot of the consistency of the second half of the sure. games. He still had over 500 yards. He still had five touchdowns. If Corey Davis plays the full season, he probably has a thousand yards or close to it. And he probably has seven or eight touchdowns. He's a good number two. He's a good number two. He's a good possession guy. He has very good hands. He doesn't really drop the ball. But right. this year, this for year some he reason, did, though, he did. Yeah. The first year he was with the Jets, where his strength is not dropping the ball, he dropped too many of them. So maybe we see a difference, Corey Davis, if he stays 100% healthy this year, and he actually knows Zach Wilson. He actually knows where he likes to throw the ball. Maybe this is a different Jet team, and maybe you go after Garrett Wilson, or you bring in another top end wide receiver, and this team could absolutely explode in the AFC. But they're going to have to win 10 games at least to sneak into the playoffs of the wild card, especially how good the AFC is, Speedy. As far as the three receivers, I am with you on DK Metcalf. I would stay away from DK Metcalf just because I don't know how good of a scheme fit he's going to be. He's a big physical guy and really fast for his size, but isn't an overly great route runner. And while his consistency got better in 2021, it's still been kind of inconsistent where he has these 150-yard games and then he'll disappear a lot of the time too. Debo Samuel's the best scheme fit coming from the 49ers and probably is the best all-around player. Now, Brown as a receiver, I think is a little more talented. I think A.J. Brown's the best out of all. As a pure wide receiver. Remember, Debo Samuel could also move all over the place to line up as a running back. Had eight rushing touchdowns last year. So, he might be the best value in terms of an overall player and also could help the Jets where they don't really need to go after as much running back depth either to make that backfield work because you just add another guy that could line up in the backfield. Now, Elijah Moore has done that too to make that Mike LaFleur offense work. But he's also going to be the priciest. Now, A.J. Brown, I think, is the best scenario of both where because he had a not down year, but for his standards not as good as was expected because of the injuries. The Titans, who are dealing with their own cap issues, might be able to trade him at less of a price, too. Plus, you reunite him with Corey Davis. Plus, you reunite him with Elijah Moore. I think that ends up being the best of both worlds, but I don't think I would be mad if they go after Debo Samuel, too, and not have to give up as much either. I don't think that's ever going to happen with all three moves. I think what the Jets are going to do is they're going to, in the first round, draft a wide receiver, a Garrett Wilson, a Drake London, one of these guys, maybe a Williams, where they can fill him in as the number one wide receiver or number two. Elijah Moore develops into that number one guy right now right off the bat this year. There you go. You have a one, two, and a three, and you have tight ends, and this could be a more prolific offense than we ever thought it would be. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will have our special guest, Mr. Metzmerize, MLB Daily Dingers, Matt Musico, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World, Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to WWSRN on iOS or on Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, you guys have heard this guy on at least once on our show here on the Weekend Crunch, and we have him on again. He loves coming on our show, as everybody knows. We are now talking to creator of MLB Daily Dingers and Mets Marais writer, Matt Musico. What is going on, Matty? 
Nothing much, guys. What's going on? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. We love you. And now that baseball's back, 162 games. Thank God. I'm sure we've seen enough with Rob Manfred. We would just want to throw ourselves off a bridge. But I believe he will be looking towards two more years, and then he will be on his way out because Theo Epstein will probably be taking over for him. I cannot see him lasting after 2024. I think the whole reason why he didn't take that Mets job when he had the opportunity was the fact that he wants to take over for baseball, and I think he would be the perfect fit for baseball. But before we... that everyone likes? That sounds really fun. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, I'm a Yankee fan. I'm not a big fan of Theo Epstein, but... You can appreciate him, at least. Yes, I do appreciate him. That guy's a smart man. He knows what he's doing. He probably knows a lot more than Rob Manford does. Right. Rob Manford knows just as much as a mouse knows to a piece of cheese. So there you go. Anyways, so why don't we get into some Mets conversation and Max Scherzer has pitched pretty damn well for his first two appearances in spring training. What were your thoughts pitching the way he has and really where this Mets team is right now going on the third week of spring training? Looked pretty good with Max. I mean, he's had two appearances. He's pitched five innings and six innings, which seems like the most Max Scherzer thing that can possibly happen in spring training. But he looks incredibly sharp, ready to roll. It seems like most of them look pretty sharp, at least for the time being. It's nice to see the offense getting going a little bit, but it's hard to not get excited. But also at that same time, this is the point in the year where I get excited, but I'm also ready to get hurt again mm. by the Mets because it's just the circle of life as a Mets fan. But <laughs> like um, they seem primed and ready to roll. The Annalise is going to be a freaking dogfight. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch that unfold between the Mets and the Braves and the Phillies. Although who knows if the Phillies are ever going to catch a baseball with the way that their lineup <laughs> is constructed. But it's going to be a good challenge. And Max said it after his first start that he wants the NLEs to be the way that it is because as an athlete, you want to face the best and you want to be battle tested the most by the time you get to August and September and October. So you're ready to withstand that. So they look great so far. Obviously, it's only spring training. Take some things with a grain of salt, but everything's looking good. Most people are staying healthy. Knock on wood. We'll see what happens from here. That's not going to last, as you know. <laughs> no, yeah, we know that. So from the last time we had you on, you actually have now created the MLB Daily Dinger. So give the fans a breakdown of what that is. A couple of years ago now, I just started a Twitter account at MLB Daily Dingers just because I thought people love baseball. I love baseball. I love home runs. I wonder if people would like just watching random home runs throughout the day. It's built up to almost about 2,000 followers now. Good for uh, you, people man. have enjoyed it. The goal was to always turn it into a blog. I had no idea what it looked like when I started the Twitter account, but the blog itself launched probably about a month and a half ago now. And what I noticed when I was looking around is that obviously we have things like Baseball Reference, Baseball Almanac, and places like that that have all these databases of lists for all different kinds of things. Most home runs all time, most home runs in a season, all those different kinds of situations. But from what I could see from my seat was that what was missing was taking all those stats and all those databases and turning into like some context and adding some videos to it as well. So the goal with MLB Daily Dingers is to have it eventually be a written and video library of home run history, giving you some context, giving you some videos to watch. This way you don't have to go three or four different places to get what you're looking for. It's been fun so far. And right now I'm just continuing to try and build up content to have as much on there before baseball season starts. We are talking to creator of MLB Daily Dingers and Metsmerize writer Matt Musico. Matt, we've watched the Mets year in and year out for the last two years and the rebirth of this team ever since the Wilpons are gone. The Steve, Uncle Steve Cohen's new Mets organization. They're bringing in new management, new everything. He's trying to figure out where this team is going to be in the future and what this team is going to be moving forward with analytics and everything like that. Now with all the new rule changes and now there's no more shifting, I think not this year, but next year when the shifting 
is completely obsolete, I think the game is going to completely change. With the Mets right now, you look at Lindor this year, you look at some of the players that they had, the Martes of the world, even guys that are looking for new contracts. Where do you see this team as the season begins? Are they going to be a team that's going to start slow, or are they going to really pick up fast and figure out who their identity is early in the season? Within recent history, it's been a little bit of a mixed bag when it comes to the start. And I've written about this a few times on Metsmerize, is that obviously you can't win any championships in April, but it can certainly help propel you in that direction. Thinking about the 2015 and 2016 team in particular, they had great Aprils. Mm -hmm. And for 2015, they struggled after April, and they were around 500 around by the trade deadline, but they hung around just enough to get that little extra kick in the pants that they needed once they got Cespedes and everyone else to go on that run. Same thing in 2016. They had a great April, and then they were dead in the water in August, but then everyone came back, and then they got what they needed to get onto that stretch. It doesn't always work that way. I think it was, whenever it was Mickey Cowboy's first year as manager, they had that incredible April, and then the bottom fell out in typical Mets fashion as it does. It's not as if it's necessary to have a quick start. I think for... A team with new ownership and pretty much revamped front office and roster and coaching staff, I think it's helpful to have some kind of quick start from a confidence-building standpoint. They're not going to find out exactly who they are in April and May, but they can find out who they're not at the same time, too. And I think with someone like Buck Walter steering the ship, he brings that kind of energy that they need to kind of just be a little bit more business-like. And it seems as if that's been kind of the mood at spring training so far, at least this abbreviated version of spring training that they've had. I don't think it's totally necessary, but I think for this team in particular, especially being in a big market, especially being in a division that could be a heavyweight fight from start to finish, they have to take care of business in certain situations. Starting well, playing well against within their division, beating up on losing teams, at least staying afloat, treading water against winning teams. They need to be able to do those certain things to put themselves in the position to hopefully be a contender for the playoffs come August and September. The tax level rule, one of the things in the CBA was the competitive balance tax, which a lot of people thought they were doing in reference to Steve Cohen and the amount of money right. he was spending, the fourth tax level adding at $60 million. Do you think that'll change the approach for Steve Cohen? And how would you approach it if you were the Mets front office in terms of managing the money with this rule in place? I think it'll maybe be an extra conversation. When everyone first finally got to Fort St. Lucie, all the reporters were essentially asking him and and he said something that was typically funny, as he's pretty funny. Having the tax essentially named after him was more of an honor than having a bridge named after him. This is a dude that spent $140 million on a piece of art. So I don't think he's going <laughs> to necessarily blink twice if he really feels like a certain move is going to help put them over the top. Because first and foremost, he's a fan. So I think he kind of brings that kind of mindset to this and also allows his front office to just continue to bring him opportunities. Working in the front office, you always trying to find ways to get better and to improve the squad. And more or less, you just have to bring it to get approved. And the worst thing that Cohen can say is, no, we can't do that right now. But for someone who's worth 15 like billion, 15, 15, I mean, there's not going to be many things that are off the table, especially if they present it in a way that it could really make a difference for the club. It's a pleasure to actually have this problem. I know Brandon Nimmo said it was a little frustrating that they finally have an owner who's willing to spend and now they have this extra tax on top. But I don't think it's going to be a big deal for Cohen just because he wants to win first and foremost. And I think he's shown that over this past offseason with how much money he's spent already and nothing is really going to be off the table from a financial perspective at least moving forward as everybody knows we are talking to creator of mlb daily dingers and mesmerize writer matt musico and I, I will say this buying championships never work we've seen this with the yankees it never worked it worked in 2009 
I was going to yeah. say, it worked in 2009. Yeah, it, it, I worked in 2009, <laughs> and it has not worked since then. I mean, they yeah, brought Jason yeah. Giambi. How many years did they have Johnny Damon? It didn't work. And when the Yankees were at the top of their game, they built around a roster of young players like Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada, Andy Pettit, Bernie Williams. They had a full-fledged farm system where they brought in players to fill in the spots of veteran players. Let's get into more of the National League East. Now, we talk about the Braves, obviously losing one of the best players, one of the best hitters in all of baseball. He goes to the Dodgers in Freeman. They bring in another player who I think coming from the American League. What are your thoughts with now the DH filling in now in the National League? Does this benefit the Mets? Does it benefit the National League East now with some of the players that they have, the additions? Where do you see this working out for the National League East? Well, it definitely benefits at least a handful of teams in the National League East. I made the joke about the Phillies not being able to catch the ball. The joke was Universal DH didn't mean that the entire team could be DHs, but you know they at least have one spot for the DH in Philly. So it certainly helps the way that they've built their club. It certainly helps them. And for the Mets, too, if they have certain guys that perform to their potential, or at least like their recent breakouts, like Dom Smith or J.D. Davis, it could certainly help them. And also it keeps Jacob DeGrom out of the batter's box so he doesn't get hurt trying to hit, which is also helpful. It's definitely a positive for the Mets. And it's probably going to be the only way Robinson Cano is going to see any kind of regular at-bats as well, too, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Having J.D. Davis as the righty, Dom Smith as the lefty, Robinson Cano as the lefty as well, being able to do some mixing and matching, maybe putting Dom Smith at first base a little bit more often than they have in the past. And it's nice to have someone like Buck Showalter who has had experience with the DH's entire managerial career, right. knowing how to kind of use that and mix and match and make that kind of stuff work. So I think it helped the Mets. It'll definitely help the Phillies. It'll definitely help the Nats because I think they have Nelson Cruz now. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's also a plus for them. I think across the board, it's going to be helpful for many of these clubs just because how bad the pitcher hitting statistics are, even though it is fun to watch them hit. At least it was fun for me to watch them hit. It's going to bring about more offense, hopefully. it would be a little bit more exciting one through nine. Is that you don't have that mostly given out at the end of the lineup. So I think it'll be helpful for most teams on offense, and it'll make it a little bit more tricky for pitching staffs, too, just because they haven't had to deal with that consistently. Fox Sports is writing that the Dodgers may have the best lineup ever this year. Betts, Freeman, Turner, Muncie, Will Smith, Justin Turner, former Met, Taylor, Bellinger, and Pollock to round it out. What are your thoughts on that? It's probably Probably not going to be far off. You've seen all those permutations from different outlets putting together their lineup. It's freaking scary. Bellinger doesn't look that great right now at the outset of spring training. Sorry, here, it's not better than Murders, bro. Maybe not the best of all time. Yes. But I mean, it's going to be one of the best ones we've of seen course. in a long time, of for course. sure. I mean, the Yankees have a good lineup, too. You have a bunch of power in that middle of the lineup. And you had Donaldson. Donaldson's never played in a lineup that good. They're going to be able to protect him. Yeah, the Dodgers are good, but also the Red Sox. They're going to have a pretty good lineup this year, too. There are a bunch of lineups right now in the American League and National League that stick out. It's not just the Dodgers. And we all seen this before. We've seen great lineups just fall apart. It just doesn't work. You're right. And especially, I'm glad you pointed out the Red Sox too, because thinking about what their infield looks like is just yeah. ridiculous to think about. There are a lot of really good lineups out there, and it should be interesting to see how they perform. As we saw with the Mets last year, we thought their offense was going to be great. It kind of sucked. It doesn't necessarily matter what it looks like on paper. It matters what they actually do on the field. Absolutely. Thinking about how great the Dodgers were last year. They won, what, 112 games or something like that? And they add Freddie Freeman? It's like, okay. You add someone like that in the middle to a lineup. It's just crazy to think about. And thinking about how good they already were in comparison to the rest of the NL West. The Giants were really great last year, but they kind of surprised. And they lost Buster Posey. 
and they just lost Everlon Gorrier for a little bit too. It'll be interesting to see how much of a lead they pad until people start to try and knock them down a little bit. I feel like it's, that's going to be a runaway division out there. San Francisco, who everybody was talking about Kapler when he was running the Phillies. The Phillies, I, I'm I sorry. thought he was the worst manager in baseball. Worst manager in baseball. Goes to San Francisco and, and with He's the team. He was brilliant. So figure that one out. Mm-hmm. So he gets another job and he He's just absolutely fantastic last year as a manager in the major leagues. So let's stop attacking people, a.k.a. Aaron Boone, who everybody wants to throw him off a bridge. The Phillies just might be just unmanageable. Joe Girardi goes there and still can't fix the bullpen either. The Phillies just might have the most unmanageable team. And it's not even the Mets. When you look at just the whole league, now with the brushing off of new rules, and then you look at the pitching and the dominance of pitching over the last couple of years, and now the Mets add Max Scherzer to that pitching staff and then make a trade with the athletics and add another pitcher if he stayed healthy last year and did get hit with a baseball in the head who knows where he would be maybe he wins the American League Cy Young and then you have three Cy Young winners on one team where do you see this pitching staff amongst the league's best I would say definitely top five I actually saw something MLB.com came out with their rotation rankings and the Mets were number one which I was kind of surprised about just because yes their top three is fantastic and you can't do any better than DeGrom and Scherzer and then adding Bassett to the mix but Carrasco in his very limited outing so far this spring still giving up a lot of home runs in the first inning to like minor leaguers a little concerning but not too much yet then Taiwan Walker he may not be fully ready for opening day I think there's still a couple of questions in the back a little bit but it's harder to do much better than the front three that they have. I think one difference that they have this year compared to last year is that they fill out the rotation enough where guys like Tyler McGill and David Peterson are the legit depth pieces. But they have actual young, talented guys who could fill in at any moment in time in the rotation. David Peterson's a little bit more of a question mark because of the year that he had last year and then he got cut short because of injury. But it's nice to see that they can go six, seven deep potentially and then have to go if they need to, which they did last year, go into the reserves beyond that as well too. Having five or six guys do all the pitching in the rotation in a single year is not is not feasible at any point in time. You're going to likely have to go probably nine or ten deep at certain points of the year. So they're going to need to have that kind of depth to be able to run the marathon of 162-game season. So the new CBA rules that came out, is there any one that you particularly liked? And is there something that you would have wanted to see in this new bargaining agreement? Come on, Matt. Come on. <laughs> say it. No you. more shifting. These rules feel a little gimmicky to me. I don't necessarily see the big deal with shifting. they are going to take away shifting. They're going to find something else to do. I feel like, especially with all the analytics that are out there and whatnot, there wasn't necessarily one thing that I absolutely felt like they had to add or didn't add, but they're just trying to grow the game. I really wish the Ghost Runner still wasn't around. They said in 2020, it's just for this year. And then 2021, oh, just one more year. And then now this year, oh, we're going to do it again, but this is really the last year. So it's just nice to not have seven inning double headers anymore. I'd like it going back to nine innings, but I wish I had a hot take about this, but I really don't. I'm just glad that they finally came to a freaking decision because it was getting depressing watching them do the same thing over and over again. As everybody knows, we are talking to creator of MLB Daily Dingers and Metsmerize writer Matt Musico. First of all, shifting is absolutely going to help the league because it's going to open up the offensive gates. Just looking at the Yankees, Joey Gallo, Rizzo, Stanton, this is going to benefit these players because they're pull ball hitters. Their batting average is going to go up 
Rizzo going into this year, last year, I think he was batting 262. If shifting wasn't going into this year, I bet you he's the 274, 280 hitter. It changes everything. Now, analytics are changing everything, and they'll find another way to analytically change something where it's going to affect the game, but not as much as shifting has. It's affected the game offensively. I think juicing the ball, corking the bats, you can challenge the umpires. I think it's all stupid. Just stop the shifting, open up the tailgate, and let the game fall for what it is. You want to see offense? It's going to bring more offense. I wonder, once shifting goes away, because for every cause there's an effect, I wonder... It's going to change how pitchers pitch. Pitchers with the shift, they're going to pitch a certain way. Without the shift, they pitch a different way. So I agree with you. I'm going to certainly open up things a little bit more. I wonder if it's going to just be a little bit of an adjustment to then being back to a different way to the way things were, or if it's going to be something more long-term. That's the thing we're going to find out eventually, but it'll be interesting to watch for sure. One bold prediction for the Mets and one bold prediction for the MLB season coming up. Let's say Francisco Lindor MVP season. How about Mm. that? Interesting. For the overall season, goodness, God, you guys put me on the spot here. He did. I didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, he did. It's all his That's fault. That's right. Everything's his fault. Let's blame him for everything. We'll go real bold. Wanso triple crown. How about that? Ooh, all right. Interesting. Full year with the Nationals or he gets traded? I'd like him to come to New York, but I will think he'll be in Washington for another year. His brother's there. His brother is going to be in the minor league system. He's got to stick around for a little bit at least. You know? I, I don't see him going to the Mets. If he goes anywhere, it's the Yankees. I, I don't think it's going to be the Mets. I think there's too much money that Steve Cohen has spent you know, over the last two years to bring in another $400 million. That's just too much. Now, he could. I'm not going to say that it can't happen. I, I could see the Cubs making a move like that to bring in a big-time superstar the Chicago White Sox. They have a good farm system. He would fit very well over there. He wants to go to a big market. I mean, Chicago, New York, L.A. He's not going to the Dodgers. I don't know what their salary cap's going to be. It's ridiculous. They're going to have to change this tax again. It's absolutely it ridiculous. It to 80% because of the Dodgers. And you want to know something? Now that the Yankees aren't doing that, now all the Yankee fans want to jump off a plank. Listen, Yankee fans, I'm going to say it again, and now that Matt Musico is hearing it and listening it to today, and I will throw it under the covers on this one. Hopefully I'm wearing some underwear when I'm doing it. The Yankees have always been better when they haven't bought their roster. And I don't want to hear about John Carlos Stanton. He was practically given to the Yankees. Derek Jeter, before he left, is saying, here, here's a present. And no Yankee fans, he doesn't stink because he's the only one that hits in the playoffs for them. So please, <laughs> right now, the Yankees, what they're doing, yeah, they paid Garrett Cole. They're going to have to. They've paid some players. Glaber Torres has looked really, really good this spring training. There's a lot of good signs with him. There's been good signs with some of the players that they've brought in. Their shortstop that they brought in in that trade. He's looked pretty good in the last couple of games. What the Yankees need to do and what they, the Mets need to do is build around their farm system. That's what wins. And that's what always wins. So hopefully, Mr. Musico... That's what New York sports will be from now on. We see it with the Jets. Hopefully that'll help them win after 50-some a year. We see it with the Giants now. They're going to build around the draft. And we see that with the Rangers. We've seen that with the Islanders. That's what wins. I think it's been a big problem for New York sports. The Red Sox, they've done it very well. The New England Patriots have done it very well. That's why Boston sports have dominated the last 15 years. Anyways, Mr. Musico, why don't you tell the fans how they can find you on social media? We're looking forward to have you a fourth time very soon. Yeah, for sure. You can find me on Twitter at mmusico8. And obviously, if you want to check out MLB Daily Dingers, it's just at MLB Daily Dingers on Twitter as well. And it, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate you guys having me on. We love you, man. Baseball. And hopefully, we got a good season on tap. I remember my birthday party's coming up. I remember I told you, you got to come out for my birthday. You didn't come out last year on the boat. 
But this is my 40th, man. I'm going to be 40 years old, oh, man. man. So this four, is like the oh. uh, the 11th anniversary of your 29th birthday, yeah, right? Please don't <laughs> throw me under the bus on that one, man. <laughs> thank the you. specific Max. numbers are better, though. The 11th anniversary of the 29th birthday. Oh, well, thank you, Speedy. Just make me look older and make me sound older. No, Anyways. I'm praising Matt for the specific numbers, not just rounding up to 10. Could like you stop with your analytics don't. for five seconds, please? <laughs> Jesus. Anyways, Matt, thank you for joining us. All right, take care, guys. Appreciate it. Matt Musico, ladies and gentlemen, check out MLB Daily Dingers. It's a great, great site. His blogs are fantastic. He's a great Met writer. If you're a Met fan, check out Matt. He knows his stuff. He gives you information that you probably won't get anywhere. So check him out. He will be on again. And maybe he'll come out for my birthday, Speedy. Who knows? When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into some baseball. As, yes, Jacob deGrom looks like he will be sitting out for a significant amount of time. I'm not surprised. And Max Scherzer, who probably will be the starter for game one of the season. He has a little bit of problems with his hamstring. The New York Mets already have injury problems, and the New York Yankees have looked sensational. I know it's spring training, but has looked really, really good in spring training. When we come back, we'll get into Mets, Yankees, and MLB here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. I knew all the Met fans so smiley and happy. Joshua Silverick saying we could win a World Series this year. Tyler Harrison taking shot at the New York Yankees, not going after Max Scherzer. And what do we hear? We hear injuries. Injuries before the season even starts. Jacob deGrom was feeling tightness in his arm and his shoulder. He needed an MRI. He gets his MRI on Friday. What do they find? Inflammation in his right shoulder. This is a new one. A stress reaction in his scapula. Leave it to the Mets to make injuries I never heard of before. (laughs) Well, when you have a stress pull in your scapula, it's a bad injury. With your scapula, you're using your shoulder to release the ball. You're using a lot of your shoulder. A lot of your power is coming from your legs, but it's also coming from your shoulder. With this problem, it's going to make him at least sit out for four weeks. He could be out six to eight weeks. Even with spring training, he's going to have to have another spring training, so he might be out another two weeks after that. This is a bad injury for the New York Mets before the season started, especially with the depth in their rotation. They don't have a lot of depth. They added some pieces that they thought with Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer healthy. This roster and this rotation will be one of the best in the league. Max Scherzer speaks out and says that he feels good even with tightness in his hamstring. That's not a good sign. Anybody that goes to the Mets, it doesn't matter how healthy they are. And by the way, Charlie Slows, he had the breaking news about Max Scherzer. If nobody knows who Charlie Slows is, Charlie is the voice of the Nationals. He knows Max very, very well. He was the one that told me there was tightness in his hamstring and that it could be a significant, significant situation because when you have hamstring problems as a pitcher, you use your legs to release the ball. And as a 38-year-old, he's not going going to have the strength or the ability to heal like he did when he was 28. Definitely not. It's something that 
overtime with the amount of innings, with the amount of consecutive starts for a while before he was dealing with all these injury issues recently in the shortened season, that it's going to catch up to you eventually. You're seeing it before he even steps on the mound for the Mets. It's crazy. When he signed with the Mets initially, (laughs) it was thought of to be elbow fatigue that he was going to have an issue with. That's why he missed his last start of the NLCS against the Braves. It seemed like the elbow fatigue is finally gone. Now he has a hamstring issue, which for somebody that is a powerful pitcher, a big guy, a guy that relies on his velocity a lot, which is driven from your legs as well as your arms in the rotation of the pitch, that's going to be very hard to be able to get that kind of top velocity on a consistent basis. Now, hopefully the Mets manage this right, which they never do with injuries as it is. Trusting a training staff that has been having these players get hurt that haven't been injury prone in the past, that's not something you can necessarily trust. And also, with all the pitching depth that they lost in the offseason, now these new guys are going to have to take on a bigger role. Whether it's Chris Bassett, who they just traded for from Oakland. Whether it's Tyler McGill, who pitched well at times in the second half, but then fell apart in August and September. Whether it's David Peterson, who was a first-round pick that didn't look good last year. They lost some pieces in their bullpen, too. No more Aaron Loop, who pitched phenomenally last year. No more Juries Familia. A tough task for Buck Showalter if these guys are out for a longer period of time. Jacob deGrom out for at least a month. And Max Scherzer might miss their opening day start. Nothing confirmed yet, but still not a good sign, even if he does have to battle through that kind of injury with a hamstring. Especially as a starting pitcher who usually uses his legs and his power from it. It's not a good sign for the New York Mets already, as the season will be starting in a week. And you don't have your best pitcher. Your second best pitcher, who you paid a lot of money, he's the highest paid pitcher in Major League history. He's making $45 million a year. He's got problems. He's really been healthy his whole career besides last year. Right, up until the 2020 shortened season. And now you're seeing his age is starting to hit. And I told Mets fans, you have to be worried to paying a guy three-year contract worth about $140 million for three years. That's a lot of money for one guy, a guy that's 38 years old. And yes, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. He's been one of the best pitchers in baseball for the last 11 years. But it scares you when he goes to the Mets because guess what? Everybody that goes to the Mets always wind up on the DL. When you look at the Mets right now, this is not a good sign. And if you're going into the season knowing that your best pitcher might not pitch until the second month, that should be scary by itself because it's going to take him a while to get his feet under him, to get his arm strength back. He might not be at 100% until probably June or July. And that's scary because by then the Mets could be out of a playoff contention. The Braves are a lot better than they were last year, even losing Freeman. They added a lot of pieces. They added relief pitching. That rotation is good. And they have a great lineup even without Freeman. Acuna will not start the season, but he'll be in the roster probably 40 games in. And he was supposed to be out until the All-Star break, and now he's probably going to come back in May. This roster is fantastic, and Swanson's become a great hitter. Albies is as good as anybody at second base. So they're a scary team, one of the best infields in all of baseball, even losing Freeman. They added a gold glove type of first baseman from the A's. Power, too. Absolutely not going to miss a beat this year. The Braves are the best team, in my eyes, in the National League East. Yeah, the Mets now are going to have a tough dilemma, too, where how are they going to manage pitching when Max Scherzer plays and when Jacob deGrom comes back? I think Max Scherzer will play. He'll play? Yes. I just worry diminishment of the performance, if and when that will end up coming, and how the Mets are going to manage it in the beginning of the season, because they have to realize that they're going to have to win games in so many different ways in the month of April 
at least to stay afloat. The Braves are a better team. The Mets can stay competitive with the extra playoff team now at Dodgers, obviously the best team in baseball on paper. A potential bounce back from the Padres, who are a very talented team. And then you got the National League Central with the Brewers and the Cardinals. The wild card is going to be still hard, but still manageable. So they can't be over-aggressive with Max Serzer and try to use too much innings out of him where it could, one, diminish in performance, and two, make it where it could get fatigue, and then you overwork him for later in the season when you might need to win those games down the stretch. Because we've seen the Mets do this over the years with veteran pitchers. Look at the diminishment of Johan Santana, one of the best pitchers in baseball when he was with the Twins. Came to the Mets, he pitched well his first two years there, then now had all his injury issues. Same kind of thing with Pedro Martinez and Tom Glavin. And then they also did it with young pitchers, too. Look at what happened with Matt Harvey, in addition to the off-field issues. The only one that really got better following his major injuries was Zach Wheeler. And then Zach Wheeler, now he's pitching phenomenally with the Phillies. They have to figure out some way to make it work throughout the season. Hopefully Buck Showalter has a better say with that kind of thing. He's managed much worse pitching staffs in the past and made it work to get some winning teams. And then there's the other New York team, which everybody expected to start a little slow because they have to figure who's going to be the number one, number two, number three, and number four hitter in this loaded roster. And it seems like they have it all set up already. I think DJ LeMay will be batting one. Aaron Judge will be batting two. Josh Donaldson will be batting three. Giancarlo will be batting four. Joey Gallo batting five. Rizzo and the rest of that roster. This is a loaded roster. And if Josh Donaldson, I said this with uh, Charlie. I told Charlie, I said, what do you think about Josh Donaldson? He said, if Josh Donaldson stays healthy in this lineup, he's never been in a better lineup than this. He is going to be a better hitter. He's going to see better pitches. He's hitting Yankee Stadium. With this roster, even Isaiah Kinner, who's played very, very well this spring training. Marlon he's been Gonzalez, too. Yeah, Marlon Gonzalez. They gave him a minor league contract. It was a big move. And that's something that Brian Cashman always wins. He finds these guys that nobody wants. They come to the Yankees like Gio Oshella, and they become stars again, or they become better players. Marlon Gonzalez is a good player. He's won a World Series before. He's been on good teams. He's an all-around great defender. He can play multiple positions. He can play the outfield. He can play third base. He can play shortstop. He can play second base. He can even play first base. So Marlon Gonzalez, adding a player like that, if he can figure out his hitting situation, this lineup is going to be as good as any lineup in baseball. Now, the pitching staff, we all know they're not the Mets. They don't have Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom, but they do have Garrett Cole. And if you want to say Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom are the two best pitchers in baseball, Garrett Cole's right there with them. The Yankees have a number one who could win a Cy Young any year. Last year, he was runner-up in the Cy Young Award. With that rotation, they got to hope Saverino stays healthy. Certain pitchers get back into position. Montgomery, Tylon, who played very well in the second half last year, and even Gill, when he gets called up. These guys are going to have to produce. If they produce and they figure out what this bullpen is, the Yankees could be as good as any team in the American League, especially with that lineup. This is a very depth-driven team in comparison to teams of the Yankees past where it seemed like it was more star-driven and they had the pitching to make it work in some instances like the big names but didn't have the overall depth. Now they have a little more depth if they can stay healthy. And they have defense too. too. A lot of good defense. You mentioned Kiner Falefa. Aaron Hicks, if he could stay healthy, is a phenomenal defensive center fielder. And then Marlon Gonzalez too. Joey Gallo. Josh Donaldson is a great third baseman too. They're a good defensive team. The depth where they don't have to force everyone to play all these different positions and wear themselves out throughout the year too. Marlon Gonzalez could play not center field but the other two corner outfield spots and play both middle infield spots. DJ LeMay, who played phenomenally all over the place. Joey Gallo, who's been a gold, gold glove. glove. Anthony Rizzo. They have all these different options to 
maneuver depth, and we'll have to see if they could do it to the best competing with the rest of the division, because their division is still loaded, but the Yankees have the depth on paper to make that kind of thing work. Yes. You don't think the Yankees have the best lineup in all of the American League? The question will be with them is, can they reduce the strikeouts? Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton have always struck out a ton. Joey Gallo, 200 hitter that strikes out 200 times. He's the worst one out of all. He, right. He's the most extreme condition, because Aaron Judge and John Carlos Stanton can still hit for good batting averages, but we haven't seen that yet from Joey Gallo in terms of making that leap of what he was supposed to be when he was called up as a young player. Yankee Stadium is a band box for the home runs, but can they grow their game to the next level? Because that's the thing that sometimes has held them back where sometimes with the Yankees, one guy seems to carry their offense. And now with this kind of lineup, they don't have to. Remember stretches where John Carlos Stanton was the only guy hitting. And then at the end of the season, Aaron Judge sometimes was the only guy hitting. Now they don't have to rely on that kind of thing when these guys are healthy too. Josh Donaldson, not a big batting average guy, but on base percentage, good, powerful guy, can go the opposite field too. If he hits 260 and he gives you 30 home runs and 100 RBIs in that lineup, and he's going to see better pitches. You're going to see a lot of doubles. He's going to knock in even more RBIs than he has over the last couple of years. So we could see the old Josh Donaldson who won an MVP a couple of years ago. And he's back in those American League East band boxes again, which will help. Marwin Gonzalez has hit all throughout the spring training so far. 412 batting average. Here's the big one. Kyle Higashioka now is going to be likely a starting catcher. Spring training, but he's not known for his offense, so at least if he gets a little bit of a spark going, and at least can be a solid number 8 hitter, that's going to be a helpful He's a great defensive player. Because he's a great defensive player, Garrett Cole's personal catcher that he's pitched the best with, and he's hitting 450, 5 home runs, 8 RBIs in spring training, which is a good sign. Now, we're not going to expect him to have these lethal offensive numbers we've seen of the the Yankees catchers of the past. If he gets 13 home runs... If he hits 240, 13 home runs, that's fine. Yeah, 13 home runs and 50 RBIs, that's all you need from a catcher who could play dominant defense, who could throw you out at second, run a pitching staff, run the bullpen. So this is a guy that can control these pitchers and make sure that these pitchers pitch as well as we expect them to pitch. So the Yankees, to me, are in position better than the New York Mets because you know what this roster is going to produce. You know what this roster is going to be as long as they stay healthy. If they stay healthy, they can win the division, the American League East, easy. The best division of all baseball when you have the Blue Jays with that lineup and that pitching staff, and you have the Red Sox with that lineup and an okay pitching staff, and then there's the Rays, and even Baltimore, they have some good young players as well, and they'll compete, because if Baltimore played in the National League right now, they're a borderline 70-80 win team. In the American League East, you got to play these powerhouse teams 16-17 times a year. You don't expect them to win a lot of games when you're playing the Yankees, the Red Sox, and the Rays, and the Blue Jays. It's a very impossible thing for the Orioles right now. They're not the Buck Show Walter. No, that team had a very good lineup. They had okay pitching, but still solid enough to get them through when they were at their peak. But yeah, definitely still in rebuilding mode right now. But the Blue Jays, they got the starting pitching. They got the lineup. The question will be with their bullpen, most of all. The Red Sox, they have some good pitchers, but they don't have the same level of depth that a team like the Rays do or a team like the Blue Jays do. Chris Sale might be coming back. We'll see if he gets back to his form. Nathan Evaldi's still there. They got good relievers that emerged for them last year. Will they be able to do it again? The Rays, new players that come up. They always find them. They make them work. Can they overcome the payroll like they've done in the years past. I don't know if they win the division again like they did last year, but they're still going to be a tough out. So When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will have Chaz and the crew. Moneyline Mania will be joining us as we'll get into the national final four of basketball. Duke Blue Devils, North Carolina, and much, much more when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. 
I'm the host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app and go on iOS, WWSRN or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, we have both the guys, yes, the two main ingredients to this podcast. Part of the show, Moneyline Mania, World Wide West or Blackhawk West, who's driving <laughs> all over Arkansas because he's going to races all Saturday. Chaz over there in San Diego. We call this segment Moneyline Mania, brought to you by Sports Betting Weekly on the World Wide Sports Radio Network. <laughs> this is Moneyline Mania with Chaz and the crew. Your team is right now heading from Arkansas. What are you saying about that? The horse races are a big part of, of Wes and I. I'm not sure about all the 151 sports people, but John from GMF Sports, definitely. But for me, I grew up back there where you guys are. So there's an OTB. You hang out at the OTB. We would hang out at the OTB, guys, use the door of the car for a strike zone, and we play wiffle ball for 14 hours at a time. We would go from betting the flats to betting the trotters. And the trotters are really where Wes's family was in the business. And that's, I think, where he gets his love. I don't have any love when it comes to horses. I have gone to the Belmont. I was there a couple of years ago to watch a triple crown. In the end, they were cheating. How are you over there, Wes? How is it over there in Arkansas? I got to tell you, it's great. It is a great vibe. The weather is great. Down in the infield is a totally different vibe. We spent a good amount of time in the dining room at a table. Great lunch. Friendly people. We're pandemic free. It's just a cool environment. Cheering for the horses. And this is our second second year doing it and and it is just an incredible time at the derby is that what we call it pandemic free now even if it's not there's a feeling of it sports has this funny way of bringing it out and the town of hot springs is just a great time and it's approachably priced every year we're happy for you to join us i know you're driving i know you enjoyed your extravaganza over there in arkansas so speedy are you ready yes 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 all right here we go The biggest rivalry in all of college basketball. Now for the first time in the NCAA tournament. North Carolina against Duke. I'm still sitting on that Villanova ticket, so I'm pretty giddy. Duke is shooting the ball well. March Madness, just because you've got a good bracket, doesn't mean you have a good March Madness. You could do either way. I've been blessed this year to have both. I've had a good March Madness betting, and I've had a good bracket. I've got two different groups I'm in. I'm the only one with Villanova. My bracket has flames. ESPN put flames next to my bracket. I went up, catch this up, I went up six million spots. <laughs> I was 8.8 million, now I'm 2.1 million. I love the fact that you get to watch these four games so far. I think Duke's a better team. The way I'm betting it, remember I came up with the name last week, the Money Line Mania Special. I'm betting it, and this one I'm using a three quarters of a unit. So the way I'm betting it is I'm going to win a unit if they win the game. I'm going to have three quarters of that winnings on them giving the points. If they cover, I win them both. That happened last week. You said that you moved up 
up in your ESPN bracket. Well, my bracket has been dead on. Besides Baylor, I had Duke going to the Final Four, Kansas going to the Final Four, and I had Villanova going to the Final Four, and I had Villanova winning the whole tournament. If I was playing in any bracket, I'd be up well, you, very, very you well. You had me in my bracket only because you and I were the only two with Villanova. Yeah. But how much you got them to win at 20-1? to 1? That's mm, my question. That's, that's a good question. They lost a big player to an injury, but I said it. If Duke beats Arkansas, they're going to win this whole tournament. Going against North Carolina, this has never happened before. It's their nemesis. I would love to see Coach K knock off North Carolina. They lost their home game, the final home game in Coach K's career. I expect Duke to not just beat them. I say Duke beats them by double digits in this game. Come out strong. They're going to try to knock them off quick. This is not the Peacocks, what North Carolina did to them last Sunday. I think Duke's going to come out strong. I think they're going to come up powerful. They're going to hit a lot of shots early. They're going to make sure that Coach K can move to the national championship and possibly win the whole thing. you got to give credit where it's due because you called Nova before this tournament started. Yes. I was anti-Nova. I remember the conversation. I said that would be very Nova of them to show up in this tournament because they didn't show much in regular season Big East. Providence was the class of the Big East. I thought St. John looked better than Nova at times. So credit to you for playing Nova with conviction. As far as Duke, North Carolina, this one I struggle with playing the winner. Part of me agrees with you, but the other part of me thinks what North Carolina did to them cannot be a coincidence. You don't just show up and manhandle a team like that and do it by having the wrong approach or the wrong game plan. So my play on this actually has nothing to do with the winner. The spread right now is four and a half. The only thing on this game that I am going into it with is I'm taking under 76 Hmm. game total for the first half. I'm going to go into this with a unit management strategy. I'm going into this for a half a unit. And if that game total goes up to, say, 77 for the first half, I'll nibble on it again for .25. I'm just going to tiptoe into this game because I'm nervous of what North Carolina is capable of doing to Duke. I agree with you on Coach K and the storybook and everything else, but North Carolina did it. Duke is the one that's got to prove it here. A lot of pressure there. So I'm going under 76, half one game total. I'm a Duke fan. I want to see Duke win the whole thing. I want to see Coach ride off into the sunset. All the great ones have done it. Peyton Manning did it. John Elway really did it at the end of his career. And Tom Brady looked like he was going to do it before he retires and comes back. So I think all the greats, you want to see them end up on top, at least close to the end of their career. This is Coach K's opportunity to really set him from everybody else. I think he's the greatest college coach of all time, arguably one of the greatest coaches in all of sports. I would love to see him get over the hump and knock off North. If they beat North Carolina, even with Villanova, and I have Villanova winning, I cannot see Duke losing a championship game against either Kansas or Villanova. I say Duke wins the whole thing. The stage is set. I mean, this is as storybook as it gets in sports history. When you look at the names that are remaining, I mean, you could probably pick a couple other names that are equally as significant in college basketball, but I don't know that there's a Final Four that has more significant names to the history of the sport in just the last decade or so than these four names. Well, you look at the numbers for Final Four appearances for national championships. I got to get Prop swap, uh, shadows. Wes, did that work like I called it, or did that, how did that work? It looked like it worked out pretty well on what John had done. Didn't work out so well for some of those other guys. <laughs> but it typically always works out for John from GMF Sports. He's, he's that kind of guy. Prop swap allows you to sell a paper ticket. So what I did is I got two tickets for Villanova, and I kept one for me, 
and I sold one. So I bet $60. I got $80 back. If you are ever betting future bets, you have to check out PropSwap. Totally cool to know that no matter what happened with Villanova going into today, I was a winner for the tournament. That's a pretty cool thing. We were not surprised that the Peacocks coach goes to Seton Hall, his home place where he played basketball. So I'm very happy. The Peacocks were a sensational story throughout the tournament. They played a very good North Carolina team. They got into these spurts where they couldn't hit a shot. What a raise did he get? Holy yeah. cow. Yeah, he, he made a lot of money. Wes, I know you were excited about this particular NHL play. It'll begin right after our show. The St. Louis Blues at the Calgary Flames. You guys know my system. You know how I feel about these NHL games. When a team is playing two nights in a row and the second night is on the road, but more so what I'm looking at with this game, I'm a Blackhawks fan, so there is no secret that I don't care very much for the St. Louis Blues. But that aside, St. Louis last night really struggled to get shots on goal. They're going to go into Calgary later on tonight, and they're going to play against a team that, believe it or not, Calgary is allowing the second least amount of goals in the entire NHL, and Calgary has no problem scoring. Last night, the Blues allowed four goals. Bennington, their better goalie, was actually the one that allowed goals. They played two different goalies and lost. The Blues got some things to figure out. We're in a wild era with goalies in general, and we are just at such a horrible deficit for great goaltending. But I like Calgary. I like the money line, a little bit of sprinkling to be had in laying the one and a half. For sure, I like Calgary money line. And if you want to find real value there, let the puck drop, wait three minutes in, and take Calgary money line regulation, and that way you don't have to lay as much juice. It takes me longer to look at a horse race than it does to look at a game. I can look at a game pretty quick. So what I did is I looked at this game, and I said, look, they're over. They're over. They're over. They're over. I'm betting the over. These games are all going over. Friday, they went over, like, by before halftime. Now there's no halftime in a hockey game. But what I'm saying is you take the 20 minutes times three, divide it in half, that's 30. They were over for the game. When a game goes over in the second period of a hockey game, how cool it is. You could give time to your girlfriend. You could play with your puppy. You could do all kinds of things because you've already cashed. Could you stop bringing about the puppy? I mean, you got a puppy over there you're watching and you're taking care of for your son. He's so What cute. kind of dog is it? A half a little, little half something. A little tiny one. <laughs> a little tiny one. <laughs> so I like the over. Second of the hockey games, the Vegas Golden Knights at the Vancouver Canucks on Sunday. This is where we're going to beneficiaries of poor goaltending. The odds makers have made adjustments. Almost every single game we see now is six and six and a half game total. Vegas is completely depleted as far as rostered. All their major goal scorers are, are injured. Vegas doesn't allow a ton of goals but they also don't resemble the Vegas Golden Knights in performance or their roster. They're going to Vancouver. I have a hard time betting on Vancouver just because they don't have much left to play for. Vegas has a little bit to fight for, but they don't have a a team in which to fight for it. I'm taking the under six and a half. The goalie play is poor on both sides, but I don't think either team has enough goal scorers. So I'm going under six and a half for the game, and let's go defense. I'm not looking at Sunday. I'm betting the horses. All day. Once you got done with the horses, the first thing you do is you got to wash your hands because the daily racing form gets you a lot of ink. The next thing you do is you go and make yourself another cocktail because you're drinking all day. So I'm not worried about Sunday, (laughs) but I'm looking at the other late game. The very last game on the board Saturday night, Dallas at San Jose, and I'm going with a Money Line Mania special. I'm taking Dallas. I'm taking them on the Money Line. And then I'm going a half a unit, and I'm going to give the one and a half, a half a unit. Also, I'm taking the team total over. They score a lot of goals. 
I could win all three bets. And when you win three bets in one game, it's not as good as six bets, and we've done that before. But three bets in a game is pretty good. Last of the NHL games, the Minnesota Wild at the Washington Capitol. I, I think Minnesota will win this game. Washington has been falling apart in the second half of the season. Their goaltending is questionable. I think their defense, which has been their strong point from the last five years, even since Barry Trotz has been their strongest part, well, their defense has not been at its strength all season long, especially in the second half. I like Minnesota scoring at least three goals in this game and winning at least by two. So give me Minnesota on that game. It's hard to argue that Minnesota is the better team. And you make a good point about Washington falling apart. I'm looking at this past week and how Minnesota has played and the amount of games that they've played. Washington, they still got number eight. As long as he's on that roster, I, I won't count him out. Now, I'm not saying Washington wins the game, but I do like Washington plus one and a half goals. I think that they'll keep it close enough. There may be a lot of goals in this game, but I think that you could be onto something there. I think Washington has a shot in this spot. I think you're spot on about Minnesota. Washington is is one of those fringe teams. And here in the next two or three weeks to close out the season, they're going to be one of those teams that I give a look at almost every time I look at an NHL card because most of these teams are landlocked at this point in the standings, whether it's the two-position versus the three-position. Most of these teams that are in are in, and the teams that are out are out. Washington has an opportunity to either miss the playoffs or make the playoffs, so I can trust them with my investment better than most. So I'm taking the one-and-a-half on Washington. If Minnesota scores early, that's going to be a good opportunity for live action to maybe take two-and-a-half or even two. I'm going with the Caps on this one. Minnesota's playing Saturday at Carolina. Then they're coming back Sunday. It really kind of depends. Depends on when they score early. I don't know if I get down early to a team that I think is the better team. I'm not necessarily going to take that bump that Wes will do on the dip because I move on with my life. I'm not afraid of that because if you ask Wes, what's the most amount of bets he's lost on a game? Probably going to take two hands to count them. I typically don't allow myself to lose more than three. But I think Chaz is probably referencing a pretty ugly memory that was a a one-off I'd rather not get into. We all have them, guys. Some NBA plays for Sunday. Mavericks at the Bucks. I got the Bucks in this game. You saw what the Bucks did against the Nets. They went to uh, overtime, and they shut down Kevin Durant in the overtime. I think the Greek Freak has played as well as he has in the second half. You see this team a completely different team. I think Milwaukee wins this game. I think Milwaukee wins double digits in this game. So my play on this game, I don't want to play the game of teams. I'm actually looking at sometimes it takes Milwaukee going down in order to claw their way back up and actually cover these big spreads that they have to lay. So my play on this game, I'm going over 57 and a half quarter two. Yeah, I watched that game. My son's a big hoops fan. When I sat down, the Nets were up by nine. Uh-huh. There's like three or four minutes left in the game. They just collapsed. They collapsed and then they, of course they lost, but he's such a great player. I'm going with, with Wes is lean on this, but I'm taking it for all of it. I'll have over for the first quarter, over for the second quarter, over for the first half, over for the game. I just bet overs. I just keep that overs. You love those overs, Chas. Well, I only love them when I think they can win, and then that's a dip. Wes's dips are right on, but in the basketball game, that's what I like to do. I like to see if I can get it seven, eight minutes into the first, and they're just struggling to score, and the line will drop. The problem is, guys, in live action, 
they don't drop the line that quickly. So what'll happen is it'll only go down 222 to 220 or 219 when it should be really 199. So that, then you're kind of tight, but that's what I like. I like points. Are you going to pick a winner? Milwaukee beats Dallas. It doesn't matter if they were in Milwaukee. It doesn't matter if they're in Dallas. The way Milwaukee is playing right now, they're playing dominant basketball. So give me Milwaukee in the game. All right, next one is the 76ers at the Cavaliers. Don't overthink it. The Sixers by double digits. Lay the points, take the Sixers, don't overthink it. Enough said. I'm not even going to give reasoning. You don't need it. The Sixers are better. They outclass the Cavs. The Cavs have played well this year. I think the game will be closer than you think. James Harden hasn't played well. Ever since he's gone to Philadelphia, he has the game where he scores 30 points, and then he has a game where he scores 15, 16 points. And you saw what he did against the Nets when he finally plays his former team a week after he gets traded. I don't trust James Harden. That's the problem. I know what this team is. They have a lot of depth. I really like the 76ers when it comes to their depth. I don't like Doc Rivers, and I don't like James Harden. Going to Cleveland, it's not going to be as easy as you think. Wes, I do believe the 76ers win the game, but I think it's a very close game. I could see five, six points, nothing more than that. So give me the 76ers on the win, but I think it's a lot closer than you think. Well, that's kind of why we call it Moneyline Mania. Mm. You can't be afraid to say that. I've been in a room, right, where I had one team and the guy had the other team. And we both lost because the point spread was like four and three and a half and it landed right in the middle or whatever. But when you have a money line, you could have Cleveland win the game with the points, Philly win the game outright. So you got two guys with two different teams in the same game and they both win. Doesn't happen as often. But that's why I'm not afraid to, to play those money lines because once you get the point spread out of there, you know how I feel about the point spread. You like the overs. <laughs> well, he's a great father. And, you know, when you're a great father, you like to cheer for everybody and full participation trophies. Yay, everybody scores a basket. I don't blame him. He's a great father. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the last one. Kyle Lowry returning to his former city, the Miami Heat at the Toronto Raptors. I don't have a dog in this one. I'm going to defer. I got Miami in this game. He is going back to Toronto. I think Miami's the better team. Now, Toronto has played well. The last two weeks, Toronto has played very well. I think the Miami Heat are the better team. They've played pretty good basketball. They're getting healthy at the right time, and they're a very dangerous team. Jimmy Butler has played fantastic, especially in the last three weeks. Jimmy Butler has been shut down defensive player like we expect him to be. So give me Miami in the game. It will be close. It will be under double digits. I could see them win by six or seven points. Miami wins the game. This time of year, this is it, right? There's some opportunity by looking at the standings. The first thing I do, I look at the team's Then I look at the standings. You can't tell by the record sometimes. You know how it is with the East and the West or the different divisions in in hockey. I want to know where they stand because Wes is absolutely right. Those fringe teams... The good fringe teams are playing up. You get opportunities. You get them getting points. As far as Miami in this game, I think Kyle Lowry has a great game against his team. If you want to bet Kyle Lowry scoring over 20, five or six assists in this game, I would bet that. I think Kyle Lowry has a very big game against his former team going to Toronto. It's going home for him. He was there. He won a championship over there in Toronto. Drake's over there in Miami playing one-on-one against Kyle Lowry. He's the Toronto man. He'll be sitting right front row with his buddy Kyle Lowry shooting baskets right in his face. So Great uh, call, 
today, Errol, going to the player props. Yes. Because sometimes that's the best play of the day. Yes. Just worry about one guy. I think Kyle Lowry has a good game. I say he scores over 20 points. Five or six assists. Big part of the reason why they beat Toronto. Kyle Lowry has not been the Kyle Lowry we saw in Toronto. I think this year he's averaging, what, 13, 14 points? When he was over there in Toronto, he's averaging almost 20 points a game. You don't have to depend on Kyle Lowry. But you know Miami. And I expect Miami to give him the ball, feed him the ball, and let him try to score as many points as he can against his former team. So you want to make a prop on Kyle Lowry scoring over 20 in this game? I expect it, especially with Drake sitting in the front row in that game, because he will be there. Trust me. Wes, have a safe trip home. Are you excited to come home? It's always fun to travel, but it is certainly always great to get home. Incredible trip. It, it always is. and It's always good to go back with a heavier wallet, too. Yeah, well, say hello to Mo and your team over there. I'm sure you're you're going to enjoy your ride home. Uh, make sure that you drink a lot of beer on your way <laughs> Back home. <laughs> Wait a minute. What kind of yeah, message well, is that? I, and I'm not driving, so I get to do just that. <laughs> well, I know you're not driving, that's for sure. So I wouldn't want to go there yeah. driving. I want to enjoy myself. So there you go. That's exactly right. <laughs> All right. Always be cashing, fellas. Absolutely. Wes, a.k.a. Blackhawk West, uh, Moneyline West, whatever like, you want to call them. I don't know. Petey, I like that worldwide Take West. Care, guys. <laughs> Worldwide West? You like that? You've said it a few times. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, Worldwide West. He's uh, he's traveling, so he is worldwide. <laughs> www. WWW. Worldwide West. It's not Blackhawk West anymore. It's Worldwide West. But Chaz, thank you, man. We really appreciate the time. Uh, enjoy the dog babysitting. They keep you young. Kids and dogs will keep you young. But yeah, always be cashing, guys. We'll talk to you next time. Absolutely. Chaz, a.k.a. Moneyline Mania, a.k.a. Sports betting weekly they're awesome they'll be back very very soon they're the best of the best i told you guys keep listening to them last week they were dead on with their picks we were almost dead on with a pick and by the way every single team that i said was going to go from the elite eight to the final four they all made it kansas villanova duke and north carolina i was right i predict duke versus villanova in the national championship and duke yes i even though i picked villanova and I want Villanova to win because I picked them. I think Duke wins the whole thing. I really do. I think Coach K rides off into the sunset as I believe it to happen. Why not end on a happy note with Coach K cutting off those beautiful nets? Anyways, when we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll get into some basketball. As we talk basketball with the Monoline Mania team, we'll get into the Brooklyn Nets. What do they need to do to be a dangerous team in the playoffs Is it going to be Kyrie Irving's team, not Kevin Durant's? Kyrie Irving needs to play better. If he plays better, I expect the Brooklyn Nets to go all the way to the Eastern Conference Championship. The New York Knicks, I don't know what to say about them. Figure this out. Sit Julius Randle for the rest of the season and tell him we're going to trade you at the end of the season. He is a cancer in the locker room. They need to do something with him. When we come back, we'll get into him. We'll get into them. We'll get into the hockey world as the New York Islander, Belmont Islanders knock off the Rangers. We'll talk about what the Islanders need to do moving forward till the season's end and the Rangers, what they need to do to stay in the spot they need to be to go into the playoffs when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host... Speedy, Petey, remember you can listen to the show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. 
brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Courtney Cox, she looks horrible, man. Did anybody watch the new Scream? Even the new movies that she's in, she looks horrible. What does she do to her face? She looks terrible. It's disgusting. She doesn't look like Courtney Cox anymore. She looks like a pile of goo. Anyways, let's get into some basketball conversation. The Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie Irving is finally playing home games. And they kind of stop depending on Kevin Durant to make all the big shots. You brought Kyrie Irving there to be one of your big shooting guards. Kyrie Irving, since he's come back, he's played, what, 20 games, 25 games. He's averaging 27 points. He's averaging five rebounds, six rebounds, and, and five assists. He's, he's averaging pretty much his totals that he usually scores when he's on his game. But in the big games where you need Kyrie Irving to score, he just disappears. Now, I know he hasn't played a full season. I know he's missed a significant amount of games with the Nets. But to me, Kyrie Irving is the most important piece to this team if they have any chance of winning. Now, Seth Curry, the addition of him and and the rebounding that they've added, they got to figure out how to get Ben Simmons on the court. Because if Ben Simmons is not on the court, they're not beating anybody. Ben Simmons is the reason why you traded James Harden. If you knew Ben Simmons was not going to play this year, you should have never made that trade. You had a chance to win a championship with James Harden. If James Harden's on the court right now with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, nobody beats them. But right now, Sean Marks looks like an idiot because Ben Simmons is still sitting on the bench. He's not providing anything, any assistance defensively, offensively, except hogging up the bench, wearing his Louis Vuitton sweaters or whatever the hell he's wearing, and doing absolutely nothing for a team that made a trade to bring him in to be a big piece to this puzzle. Yeah, Kyrie Irving so far made three home games in his return. First one against the Hornets, 16 points, 11 assists, so a double-double in that one. And then uh, 24 points, 4 rebounds, and 25-5 and five so far. So his stat lines at the Barclays Center so far have been good, so that's encouraging. It's just a matter of, yes, can he do it in a more consistent clip because he's been missing so many times this year. So whether they can get into a rhythm or not is another question where Kyrie Irving being that by far second option with ben, with Ben Simmons not there with all these other veterans that are washed up on this Nets team and lacking now the depth that they had in even some previous years, they traded Landry Shamet. Joe Harris is now out for the year. Now, granted, Joe Harris didn't show up in the playoffs either last year, but still, these are still quality depth pieces. Now you're relying on who is your third option? An older Blake Griffin? Patty Bills? Like, it's not going to help. So Kyrie Irving has to get back to that dynamic form because Kevin Durant, like you were saying, you can't rely on him to be the wear and tear type guy and just carry you. Showed in the playoffs last year. Like, the, like he did in the playoffs last year, like we've seen LeBron James do for many different playoffs where he was really the only guy scoring for a lot Kevin- Durant isn't LeBron James. It's not even close. No, no, I don't think he is either. But the point is the wear and tear for one player is the reference I'm getting at with that. And that doesn't always win. LeBron James is the exception to the rule when it comes to that. He's a freak of nature. He really is. When it comes to the playoffs, if L.A. makes the playoffs and right now they're a borderline playoff team, they're out of the playoffs. It's crazy. San Antonio is one game ahead of them. Yeah, and the Pelicans got hot. They surpassed them too. Yeah, it's crazy. But if somehow Los Angeles sneaks in as the final seed, which I believe they still will, I still think... 
think how many games are left? Yeah, Fifteen the, the games. Playoffs start in two weeks, so it's probably in the fifteens. If Los Angeles wins the majority of their games left, they're going to make the playoffs. And if they make the playoffs, watch out for LeBron James. They've lost four games in a row. If L.A. was making the playoffs, I think the MVP is LeBron James. Right. Okay, he's been sensational. It's not LeBron James' fault that they're not winning. No, and, they're and not playing defense. They're not playing defense. Anthony Davis is not Anthony Davis anymore. In the offseason, you have to look to move Anthony Davis. Yep. You have to. LeBron James has already come out and said that when his son comes to the NBA, he's leaving. So you know he's not staying in there in L.A. So trade LeBron or trade Anthony Davis or trade this team and rebuild. You won your championship. Russell Westbrook's gone next year. Yeah. Russ has not had a good season. If you look at 18-7-7 not to be a good season, then that's a pretty good season. For his standards, it's not. No. But, and for his contract, is more what they're looking at. But anyone blaming LeBron for this Lakers season? No. Is, no, you cannot do that. He's having a fantastic season. He was on his historically good statistical 38-6. His numbers are yeah. probably the best of his career. And the best by far of anybody of that age. And that says a lot. So you cannot blame LeBron James. But going back to the Nets... Because Kevin Durant now might have to take down that kind of load, and he is not playoff LeBron James. He's not close to playoff LeBron James. He still was great last year, but still, that's not going to bode well for a team that is right now the number eight seed. Right now, actually tied with the Hawks and the Hornets for eight, nine, and ten. So they could have all fallen even further. The Nets right now are the coldest of those three teams. Atlanta's streaking in like they did last year right at the end of the season. The Hornets have played a lot better than the Nets have down the stretch. So we'll see if Kyrie Irving can make that leap and push for them to get that home game. It's crazy. It really is. And as far as the Knicks are concerned, Julius Randle needs to stop complaining. When you score five points in a game and you have rookies out playing you like Grimes scoring more points in a game or Quigley scoring more points in a game, there's a problem. You were an all-star last year. You got a lot of money in the offseason. Yes, he took less money. It benefited the Knicks to sign you, but you have been nothing but a disaster to this team this year. You have hurt this team's growth, the young players' growth. R.J. Barrett, the only good thing about this is we've seen R.J. Barrett take over for this team. He is the leader of this team. He is the best player on this team now, and he will be the most consistent player moving forward, and he will draw veteran superstars to come and play with him the way he has played. So there is a sign of goodness coming from R.J. Barrett the badness here is that you have a guy that got overpaid who got a big contract where you're going to have to try to move in the offseason where he was at his highest point in the offseason. Now he's at his lowest point. What are you going to get for him? That's going to be the question. Maybe you trade him to the Lakers for an Anthony Davis in a package. That wouldn't be so bad. Julius Randle, Quigley, and somebody else. Maybe three firsts for Anthony Davis. You bring Anthony Davis to play with R.J. Barrett. I mean, that wouldn't be so bad. He already said that he would come and play in New York. And then you got your two superstars, and you could build around those pieces. But the question is, what do the Knicks do in the offseason? Number one is build around R.J. Barrett. Number two, trade Julius Randle. Number three, decide what you're doing with Tom Thibodeau. Yeah, Julius Randle continues to diminish his value and the team value when he's on the court because, one, the Knicks have been a lot better defensively since he's played less minutes throughout. For a defense that was struggling for much of the beginning of the season, I attribute a lot of that to Mike Woodson taking the Indiana job because he was a great defensive coach there too. But still, there were many reasons for that. But Julius Randle, not a good defensive player, and his value is not there. So they're hanging tough and beating good teams with their defense like they did last year now since he's playing less games. So that's number one. And number two, why are there so many more games where the Knicks have six different double-digit scores, seven different double-digit scores, when Julius Randle is less of a factor, because he's not hockey the ball. And the most notable example come in a win against the Bulls, where R.J. Barrett was leading the way, Emmanuel Quigley, Obi Toppin, Alec Burks had a great game, 
and Julius Randle is not happy that the Knicks won. Hmm. Says something about him, and unfortunately for the Knicks also says a lot about his trade value, too, because if you have a young team that maybe wants to take that next leap, are you going to want somebody like Julius Randle who's not good with young players? That's going to be hard. So that limits his market, too, in addition to, obviously, his performance dropping his trade value from last year as he was a candidate for comeback player of the year. As far as New York hockey is concerned, well, we know what the Islanders are this year. The Islanders are not a playoff team. We saw what Lou Lamorello did. He extended Zach Parisi. He extended Clutterbuck. He expects this team to be at full force next season. This is a Stanley Cup contending team. A lot of people picked this team to be the Stanley Cup contending team before the season started. They fell apart because they didn't have any home games in the first month because the new stadium in the USB arena is being built. And then the whole COVID-19 situation where they lost 10 or 11 games in a row, it definitely affected them in the race in the Eastern Conference. But I expect this team to be back there. If you look at the second half ever since the All-Star break, they have one of the best records in the Eastern Conference. They have a young goaltender in Sorokin that looks like he's going to be a star before he got hurt against the Lightning. He was very impressive throughout the season, and they've got pieces. They've got good young players. They, the Pellet contract, the Pula contract, you have them for the next seven, eight years. they got to find somebody to play with Barzell. They really do because Barzell, he looks fantastic when he skates with the puck. It looks like the puck sticks to his stick. The problem with him is he doesn't finish. He's not a finisher. And the reason why he doesn't finish is because he doesn't have anybody there to take the pressure off him so he can finish. So the offseason is so very important. I think they have about $12.5, $13 million to spend. Lou Lamorello needs to find himself a big-time star. Find a guy that's going to play with Barzell, that's going to be able to keep up with Barzell, and snipe what Barzell's going to give him. Philip. Forsberg is a guy that is going to be available. Goudreau is going to be available. These guys are going to want between 8 and $10 million. If you have that money, all the other guys are signed. Bring these guys in. Bring one of them in. If you put a Goudreau with a Barzell, you have one of the fastest lines in a league. That's what they need to do. It needs to be a smart move by Lou Lamorella because going into next season... If you bring in a Goudreau and a Philip Forsberg, you're going to be one of the favorites to win the whole thing. Yeah, Goudreau's definitely going to be up in that $10 million range because he's still very young, too. He's been durable throughout his career. Forsberg's been a little more injury-prone, so I don't know if he's going to warrant that kind of money, but still is a very good player. A guy that can play center, a guy that can play wing. He's going to get at least $8 million. I would say he's in the $8 million range. It depends on how they manage the money, but I trust Lula Amorello to do that because of the way he managed the money last year. He was able to get rid of almost all those bad contracts last year. Was able to clear the cap space they did. is a miracle. Now they have 30 Million, they still could trade Varlamov, and they've restructured a lot of the other contracts, gotten the rest of the players stable, still getting them to play well with each other. And they've played better in the second half of the season so far. They didn't have the big winning streak that was going to propel them to the playoffs, but they've played steadily good, and they're playing pesky spoilers to a lot of these Eastern Conference teams. So it shows that the Islanders at least have that identity of themselves back. Because even the last few years, the Islanders weren't the regular season powerhouse. They were a four seed last year. They were a three seed when they beat the Penguins. So the Islanders were never thought of like the Lightning or a team like that that was always going to have these President's Trophy accumulating type seasons. So there's going to be plenty of options out there too. And new players will emerge too. There's a lot of Western Conference teams that are older that maybe a veteran winger could come available for the Islanders from a team like the Ducks or a team like the Sharks. Vancouver's been trying to trade off assets too. So maybe they get a second guy as well and maybe at a bargain. So the Islanders have a lot of management to make that kind of thing work, but they definitely have to prioritize one of those young superstars for sure. Especially somebody as fast as Goudreau should definitely be priority number 
number one, even at $10 million. They need to look at who's going to fill in that position to help Barzell out and take the pressure off him. They have not reached Barzell's greatness because of it. I think it's affected what this kid is going to turn. And a lot of people put Barzell down. He holds the puck too long. He's too fancy with the puck. It's very hard for a guy that wants to be a goal scorer to be able to get to the net when you're getting double teamed and you, they're keeping you away from the net and they're forechecking you. So hopefully the Islanders take something the way the Rangers have played this year on their forechecking and the weapons that they have and give Barzell a weapon that he can grow with. Anders Lee is a great player. No question that he is, but he's a big man. That's all he is. He's a big man that stands in front of that. Dino Cicerelli, he wasn't a big man. He was a small man, but he was right. a mean player in front of the net. He would block the goalie's view, screen the goaltender, and he was mean. Anders Lee, he's not a mean player, but he's not a nice player, but he's a big, strong guy. He's a that's tough gonna, guy, yeah. Yeah, he's going to get in front of the net, and he's going to deflect pucks. You need a guy that's a finesse player, a speed guy that's going to stick with Barzell, help Barzell, forecheck with Barzell, compete with Barzell on the ice. If you find a player like that who could snipe and put the puck in the net – Watch that this line will turn out to be one of the best lines in all of the NHL. As far as the Rangers are concerned, they need to get their goaltender back intact. Igor Shostorkin is a fantastic goalie. One of the best goalies in the NHL this year. He's going to be up for a Venzina Trophy. Everybody thinks it was a sure thing for him. But the last couple of games, he hasn't looked good. And going into the playoffs where it's right around the corner, he needs to be at his sharpest. Because if he's not at his sharpest game and he's going into the playoffs, he could be knocked out very, very easy early into the playoffs. If you match up with Pittsburgh, you do not want to play Sidney Crosby or Malkin in an early round where these guys can score and throw you off your dial and where you expect to be. The Rangers are the better team against Pittsburgh. There's no question that they are. But if you have a weak goaltender or a goaltender that doesn't have the confidence, watch out. Yeah, it's definitely concerning considering the results. Not necessarily for the wins and losses, but for some of the struggles that Sashurkin has had against these weaker opponents. Buffalo, earlier in the week, they won the game, but they allowed four goals. Detroit, 5-4, another one in the Islanders yesterday. But they're not a weak team. They weren't. They're not, they're not a weak team, but they're not. They shouldn't have been there. No, they're not a weak team, but they're not the offensive juggernaut, though, is what I'm saying. And Shesterkin, for a guy that's a Vezina Trophy candidate, you would expect him to play better in those instances. But, again, the Rangers are still winning amidst all that, which I guess is a good sign, but it's still they shouldn't be struggling the way they have against these weaker teams. And 5-4, 5-4 overtime games against the Sabres and the Red Wings, definitely not ideal. They had a bad dud against the Devils a few weeks back, so it's definitely not helping that the Rangers are struggling, especially with their depth that they should have with the trade deadline coming through. They should be struggling against worse teams. Now, the trade deadline acquisitions themselves have actually played well. Andrew Kopp's played very well since he's come to the Rangers. Frank Vitrano already has five goals, which has been impressive. Justin Braun hasn't played much. He's only played in the one game so far because he was dealing with an injury, but we'll see how they work into that. But still, as a collective whole, the Rangers still have to get that kind of chemistry back because you want that home series against the Penguins. They're right now one point up. Both of them have played the same amount of games. Both have 13 games left, and the Rangers have played better at home this season, 22-7-3. and So you definitely want that kind of thing against the Penguins team because playing in Pittsburgh in the playoffs is going to be tough. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The Ally News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWS, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. Great show, really was. Matt Musico, Moneyline Mania, 
Chaz and Wes, Worldwide Wes is uh, traveling. What are you laughing at over there? I love Worldwide Wes. Why? You know the name. Yeah, well, it's why? A good name. I'm the Worldwide Man. You know, I give names. You ruined the alliteration now. You know what? You need worldwide to be smacked man. around a little bit. Maybe I should call somebody right now. <laughs> Should I call her? No. Uh, it would be great. It really help out this show for the final segment of the show. Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time. It's time for crunch time. All right, we'll start in the final four. We'll start with the not as highly profiled game, but still a good one. Villanova and Kansas. Buy or sell. Villanova will beat Kansas, even with the injury to Justin Moore. Bye. I've got Villanova winning the whole thing before the bracket and before the tournament. So I got Villanova. I'm going to buy it, too. I like the Villanova defensive identity still. Justin Moore, I know it's a tough loss on the perimeter, but they still have a lot of good guard play outside on that defensive side. This is a defensive identity team for Villanova, and they've still beaten Kansas their last two tournament meetings, too. And the identity for Bill Self really hasn't changed and they beat him in the final four and in the late so they know how to do it battle tested i will buy it as well all right buy or sell one hockey one as Wes mentioned vegas having some trouble they're right now out of the playoffs buy or sell right now one point behind they will miss the playoffs completely sell they're too talented not to make the playoffs it has a lot to do with goaltending and their goaltenders haven't been healthy robert larner has not been healthy all season long and that's been effective to their goaltending and their defense so I am going to sell that. I think they still make the playoffs. I'm going to sell it, too. Now, here's the thing. Dallas actually has three games at hand on Vegas right now, but Nashville struggling down the stretch in the second half of the season, too. I'm actually more worried about them because they kind of peaked in the beginning of the year, but since then have just been leveled out. So I could still see Vegas stealing Nashville's playoff spot, even if Dallas makes it. So I am going to sell it as well. All right, buy or sell. Both the Yankees and the Mets will win 95 or more games this season. I'm going to sell that. I still don't think the Mets will. They can't stay healthy, and that's a big problem. Their pitching staff has to be healthy. That's the strength of their team and their roster. The Yankees, I think they win 95 games. I think they have the bats to do it and the protection that they can do it. I think their pitching, their starting pitching will hold up. I'm still worried about their bullpen. If their bullpen can figure out things, it may be at the trade deadline. I still think they win over 90 games. So, yes, I, I think one team does. The other team doesn't. I'm going to sell it. Yeah, I'm going to sell it, too. I think both those divisions are very tough, too. The American League is the best division in baseball, so I think they're going to cancel each other out to some extent. I don't think you're going to see like these massive 100-game winners, even though all those teams, maybe besides the Red Sox, have the talent to. But I think they'll end up canceling each other out in the Mets with the injuries right now, definitely hindering them right now. Even with the, not as much depth in the division, and there'll be more to come because it's the Mets. So I'm going to sell that. All right, buy or sell. The Lakers will miss the playoffs completely. I'm going to sell that. I still think LeBron James will find a way to get them in. They're only one game out. There's still about 14, 15 games, 13 games left, whatever it is. I think LeBron will try to find a way to squeak in, and if he does, watch out! Yeah, I'm going to sell it, too. I don't think the Spurs will stay this hot forever, and same thing with the Pelicans. Both of them are on nice streaks to get in at this point, but I think it'll steam out eventually. The Lakers, I don't think they'll even play great in order to get in, but I think they'll just get in enough, so I will sell it as well. Now to the Duke-UNC game. First one, Duke will beat UNC by double digits. I said on Moneyline Mania, I do. I believe they win by double digits. I think they outplay and out-torture Hubert Davis and that North Carolina team, especially what they did in their home game in Coach K's final home game of his career. So I am going to buy it. I am going to sell it. I think North Carolina's defense showed a lot against UCLA, the way they played against those guard play. And I think that's ended up helping them, one, hold off Baylor the way they did, and also play better in this tournament. I think Duke will win the game. I think they'll go on a run late to win it to keep it close. But I think it'll be back and forth throughout with all of these talented players. I don't think North Carolina, especially against their bitter rivals, would go down that easily without a fight. So I am going to sell it. All right, one football, one buy or sell. Tom Brady will end up in Miami at some point in his career. I'm going to sell it. I don't think it's going to happen. 
especially now that Bruce Arians is gone. It's his team now. He's running Tampa Bay, so I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it, so I'm worried about that ownership. I know they're trying to go for that flashy move all the time, but I think Brady's going to have some leverage in that kind of thing. I know he has the house there that's in between Tampa and Miami, but how much does that really mean? As Jeff mentioned on the Sports Lab, now he has house all over the place, so I am going to sell it. All right, last one. The Whoever wins the Duke-Carolina game will win the national championship. I have Villanova winning the whole thing, but I love my Duke. So if Duke beats North Carolina, I don't think Kansas, and I don't think Villanova being that they're injured, they're not 100%, is going to beat Duke in a big game for Coach K's final appearance in the national championship. I'm buying that Duke wins the whole thing. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. I, I have Duke winning the whole thing as well. I think at this point, usually Duke's one of those teams that they're either out early or they win it all once they get to the final four. Villanova would have been a tough one if Justin Moore was healthy, but now I think they definitely favors Duke at that point. Plus, Duke's defense has played better down the stretch. They held their own against Arkansas. not because a- of Coach Shire, guys. <laughs> no, Sorry. it's not because of Coach Shire. Arkansas is a good offensive team. They held their own the way they did against them, especially in the second half. So I think that ends up helping them. And I think Kansas, they're just too streaky offensively to trust. them. Too not as deep. And Villanova with the more injury is going to be very hard to do. So because I think Duke beat North Carolina, they win the national championship against the other side. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was our wonderful weekend crunch. It was a great show. Thank you to Matt Musico from Metsmerize and MLB Daily Dingers. He's a fantastic writer. Check him out. Go check his blogs. Phenomenal. Just absolutely phenomenal. Shout out to all the fans that listen to us every single week. Moneyline Mania, Wes, Worldwide Wes, Chaz. They're fantastic. The best handicappers. Guys, you have to check it out. If you missed that segment, you have to check it out. 85% right. They've been fantastic. Keep in touch. Keep listening to us. We'll be back next week. Until then, this is Errol Marks and Speedy Petey saying good night, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.